Thank you, Elder Carl. I appreciate Elder Carl and all that he does, him and Sister Donna, for this church. We are so grateful for this anointed couple. And uh, we are... We have not seen anything yet. The Lord has incredible things in store for them. Amen. I want you, if you will, today to go with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. And I want, to, I want us to study this together, and I want us to draw some truth out of it. And I, I, I don't want you to... I don't want you to dismiss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to you about some of this, but I, I'm talking to our church today. Praise the Lord. And uh, one, two, don't, don't turn me down. Turn the other guy down, okay? Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate what you do back there. And uh, we're grateful for him, but uh, I believe Brother Carl's still talking somewhere in the building. Let's turn his mic off before he goes to the restroom, okay? Amen. I've uh, been preaching the gospel a long time, and I've seen just about everything you can imagine in church, and that reminds me of the time that we were in Ashtabula, Ohio, and there was a brother, he was, you know, almost 90 years old, and he was up preaching the gospel, and, you know, all of a sudden, he just looks at everybody, and he goes, I just want to let everybody here know that uh, you get to a certain age, that when you got to go, you got to go, and he just set the mic down, <laughs> and went to the restroom, and everybody just kind of sat there, and it's like, what are we supposed to do, and it was a small church, so you could hear the flush, and you could hear him wash his hands. He came back out, and he picked up the mic, and he went on, and he finished the service. <laughs> and so I have seen just about everything, but one that I really enjoyed happened out in Oklahoma. A friend of mine, it's a true story, old-time preacher who he was up preaching, and his wife sat on the back row. She just happened to notice while he was preaching that his fly was open. And she did everything to try to get his attention through this whole sermon. And he was just preaching up a storm. He was really feeling it that night. And so finally it dawned on her to take a piece of paper and she wrote zip it on the paper. And she held it up in the back of the church. And right in the middle of this Holy Ghost sermon, he looks back and he sees that big old message back here that says zip it. And he looks at her and he says, woman, I'll quit preaching when the Holy Ghost tells me to quit preaching. <laughs> so there's some, there's sometimes some strange things that happen in church. I think he may have misunderstood her message. <laughs> but Nehemiah tells us an incredible story about a season of restoration, a season of incredible revival. And it gives us insight to how that the enemy of our souls responds to that spirit of revival. In Nehemiah 4 and verse 1 it says, But it came to pass that when Sinballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth 
and took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. You know, Sinbalat typifies one of the greatest enemies that any of us will ever face. His very name points to who he is and what kind of character that he has. His name means a secret hatred. A secret hatred. That kind of expresses it all, doesn't it? I mean, like Sinbalad, the devil's hatred is against all mankind. But for those who are lost, his hatred is well hidden. Most do not even know that it exists. They're blinded to the fact that they're captives, bound by the power of sin. They refuse to become Christians because they don't want to lose what they think is freedom. And if there's one thing that gets in Ballad's nose out of joint, it's people who begin to build the walls of salvation and restore glory to its rightful owner, who is God. Listen, when we get saved, one of the great anthems of the church is a mighty fortress is our God. The Bible talks about the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into and they are saved. These walls are likened unto the walls of salvation. Salvation doesn't bring us to a place of being imprisoned. It brings us to a place of protected freedom. Say, what are we talking about? Yes, there are walls and in many cases these walls have become unclear and it, it's not clear where to draw the line sometimes. It's not always obvious. It's not always clear. The Bible says, hell hath enlarged its mouth. I've often thought about that. Hell's not getting bigger. The entrance is. Seems like every day the devil's coming up with a new way to get people into hell. The internet is a technology that's helped advance the knowledge of mankind. Our students study differently than what we did. We all had a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas at the home that was already outdated by the time I got to use ours. We wrote our book reports and gathered our information from there. We went to the library, but now our kids sit down and they have the world at their fingertips more information they could possibly use, amen, to write whatever kind of paper, to study whatever kind of topic, to accomplish whatever it is that they need to accomplish. And yet this incredible tool, this incredible teaching tool, this incredible resource of information has also become a portal for sin and debauchery at a level of access and availability that haunts parents who are trying to raise their kids in an atmosphere of innocence. Un unprotected internet access is like leaving a loaded gun on the kitchen table. And if you do not care, I'm going to say something right here, so write it down that you need to hear. If you do not care enough about your children 
and protecting your children to put the time and the energy and the software and the firewalls and the protections necessary that your children will not be able to access the filth that is on the internet, then in my opinion, you don't deserve to have access to the internet. Cut it off. It is like owning a gun. It comes with certain responsibilities. And if your four-year-old was to pick up a loaded gun and because of the strength of its fingers, it finds that its only way to pull the trigger is with the thumb. That's why so many children shoot themselves. Because the smaller they are, the less likely they are to have the strength to pull the trigger with their fingers. So they turn the gun around and they grab it with their thumbs and they shoot themselves. And the way the laws of this state are written, if that was your loaded gun and you left it loaded and unlocked and unprotected, you're going to go to prison for the death of that child. Is that not the truth? You will go to jail because you endangered the life of that child because you did not protect that child. That's the truth. The laws of the state are written in such a way that you're going to be prosecuted. You won't be prosecuted for murder, but they'll get you for wanton endangerment, for neglect, for all kinds of things. Federal crimes and charges. You'll spend years in jail because with a gun comes responsibility. And yet we have the Internet in our homes that is so full of filth and garbage and debauchery, and as a pastor, I'm sick and tired of counseling Christian young people who tell me they have been addicted to porn for years when they should have never even had access if their parents gave a flying flip about the danger that's in their home. Oh, that's good preaching, pastor. Thanks for telling us the truth. I hope I shake somebody up today. If you've got a six, seven, or eight-year-old, You know, I have to counsel people all the time who have been molested and who have been abused. And if you understand what abuse is, then you know that by definition, by legal definition of child abuse, exposing a prepubescent child to pornography is a form of of sexual abuse. And you can be prosecuted by law. So what are we talking? We're talking about put some protections in place. And I shouldn't have to tell you what those are because you should care enough about it that before you ever brought it into your home, you knew those protections were in place. Protections through software. Protections through parental controls. Protections through software that tells you where they have been. Protections by putting it in a public place, by limiting their access through passwords and other things. And it wouldn't hurt for some of the men, put a little protection on there for you as well. Give your wife the password because she'll never tell you.
I can tell you that right now. She's not going to slip it in for you. <laughs> I mean, she'll memorize it and eat the paper, buddy. There ain't no way. She wants you getting a hold of that garbage. You say, Pastor, why do you talk this way? Because it's frustrating because it happens over and over again. Everybody trusts their child. You're foolish. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. If you trust your child, you're foolish. I'll say that again. If you trust your child, you're foolish. Because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Children have to be taught truth. They don't have to be taught how to get in trouble. They don't have to be taught how to be mischievous. They can do it right a hundred times and you give them too much freedom, they'll cross the line. You say, when do you trust your children? I'll let you know. I don't have any of them yet that have hit 18. Amen. As long as they're in my house, I'm responsible. You know, do you trust your employees? Every one of them, but the cameras are on. Don't you forget it. Do you trust the ushers? Yes, but you will count the offering with the lights on in the conference room where you're videotaped. Amen. Boy, I'm not getting a lot of help here. It's called accountability. Righteousness seeks accountability. Righteousness pursues the walls. The righteous rebuild the walls. Walls of protection. Because we care. And even God in heaven looks down and says he remembered that we were but flesh. But yet how quickly we forget that we are but flesh. I can stand here as your pastor, and I can be honest with you. Amen. The reason that I have integrity in certain areas of my life, amen, are not because of how holy I am or because I've never been weak. Amen. It is simply because of a set of protocols that I have put into place that some things just don't happen. They just don't happen. We don't give opportunity to that. Amen. We do, we do not give opportunity to that. Amen. There's an accountability system. If you're going to meet with a member of the opposite sex, the doors are open. Other people are present. There's a camera running. There's some kind of an accountability system that is set into place. Well, that's old-fashioned, and don't you have any integrity? Let me tell you something. It's not just there, amen, to protect me from myself. It's to protect me from somebody who would lie to destroy this ministry. And there are those that will do it. Those who secretly hate. Amen. I mean, you, you know, that's the one protection that we have is because, hey, when did this supposedly happen? Oh, I was with my wife. I, was, I had a board member with me. Hey, man, the, the cameras were on. We can look at the tape. There's no opportunity. Hey, man, that's what these walls are all about. They're not about... Uh, 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 you know, in being entrapped, it's about being free. We need to be free from sin. Sin is what can destroy us. Sin is what will ruin your life. Sin is what will take you to hell. There's only one thing kill a Christian, sin. And so these walls of protection are there to guard us during moments of lucidity during moments of true conviction we need to set patterns and protocols up in our life that support our ideals 
What, what are you preaching about, Pastor? I'm saying uh, the ideals of holiness. Put things in place. Those ideals of holiness. I had a man tell me one time who is, you know, since we had this conversation, all I can say is the last time I went by his business, there were 18 police cars there and drug-sniffing dogs, which I was amazed because them, them drug-sniffing dogs are really smart. They would point to a spot on a truck just like that, and that dog stand up on its hind legs and sniff that spot, make sure there wasn't any dope there. You ever see them things? They're amazing, beautiful. German shepherds. And I had the honor of sitting there and watching them drug sniff this man's entire property. And, of course, he went to prison, spent several years in jail. But this is a man that looked at me one day, opened up his wallet, pulled out a fresh joint and said, I keep this in my wallet just to let the devil know I got the victory. I looked at him and said, you are an idiot. Uh, Can I preach to you today? Can I give you a real example that happened in this town, in this church, in the real lives of people? Yeah, his drug problem got so bad after this conversation. Would he listen to his pastor? No, I told him, I said, man, you don't need to carry that around in your pocket. He said, why? I said, you might have a moment of weakness. He goes, well, I'm strong. I said, today you're strong. Today you're strong, and while you're strong, you should build a wall. While you're free, build a wall. While the Spirit of the Lord is anointing me, build a wall. Put some protocols in place. You know, you need to break free from all those old drug contacts, all those old opportunities. Erase their number. You don't need to keep your bookie on speed dial. Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. I'm talking about building walls. We act like that's the craziest thing in the world, but yet, you know, when revival comes, what did they do in the Bible when revival came to the city? What did they do? Revival came to the city, and the Bible says they burnt the books of witchcraft, the books about idolatry, and worshiping false gods, that in a moment of weakness they might not be tempted. That's the kind of revival the church needs today. We need a revival where we burn some books. Amen. We need a revival. You know, we need a revival where everybody buys some software to protect their computers. We need a revival where some people burn some outfits. Yeah, I'll preach today. Y'all could have said amen. You could have helped me out. You had your chance. You want a spanking? I'll spank you. I tell you, you got some outfits need to be burned. Amen. Got some, got some things that need to be brought to the fire. That fire represents purity. It represents holiness. And these are not walls that are there, amen, to, to keep us held captive. These are walls where inside we are free. Free from the one thing that can steal us of the most precious thing in the world. It can rob us of our very soul, and that is sin. What power does Satan have over the church? Amen, it is still that same power to tempt us. To tempt us. What can the false prophet do against the church? Amen, he can't bless what God has blessed. I mean, he he cannot curse what God has blessed. And he cannot bless what God has cursed. 
But if he, if he can get us to partake of the cursed thing, we are cursed already. But here's a wall in a moment of revival, in a moment of righteousness. We're going to build some walls. We're going to protect ourselves. Amen. In a moment of lucidity, in a marriage, you should build some walls. One thing that my wife and I, we agreed when we first got married, my father, when he counseled us, he said the word divorce is no longer in your vocabulary. I don't care how big a fight you get in. I don't care how, I mean, me and my wife, we joke about it all the time. Nobody's getting out of this marriage alive <laughs> till death do us part. <laughs> hey, man, I think both of us at one point or another has made it clear we'll kill each other before we divorce each other. I don't know if that's righteous or not, but we were taught that that is not in your vocabulary. That's not how you view your life from this point on. You don't get mad and have a bad day and start threatening the D word. That is a wall. That is a brick in the wall of protection. Standing up for marriage. Standing up for what is right. Some things are not an option. Are you listening to me? When you get married, you jump without a parachute. It is till death do you part. There's no cord to pull. You've got to work it out. And it does. It does protect you. No matter how bad a fight gets, there's certain lines you don't cross because you know you're going to have to work it out. You're mad. You're saying things. You probably regret some of the things you say. But I've heard married people talk to each other, and you know it ain't going to work out. You know. Because they're fighting over $20, and they've done cross lines. Me and my wife don't cross. You know what I'm talking about? They don't they drag the family into it. They don't drag the old sins into it. I mean, they into it right there, and it's talking about $20. Listen, how long do you got to be married before you realize $20 ain't the hill you want to die on? Come on, let's just be honest. Let me just coach you and give you a little life coaching right now. $20 is not the hill you want to die on, my friend. Ah, I'm... <laughs> But they, they are into it, and you can tell they don't have any walls. There's no limits. You've got to limit yourself as a child of God. You've got to limit yourself. The, the message of Jesus Christ and the righteous life is summed up in one word, moderation. We can't let areas of our life get out of control. That's why we build these walls. See, when you build a wall, what are you building? You're building a permanent fixture. There's a permanent partition. There's a permanent break here now. This is a line. We don't cross this line right here. We are protected. When we come in here, we're protected. You know, we're safe. I just want you to know, if a tornado ever comes through this town, this is the safest place you could be. We've had other businesses come and ask us, can we make you our tornado shelter? No, I'm not, I'm not joking. Of course, when we read the legalities of it, we didn't want to assume the liability. But that's because but we're a safe place. So, I mean, you know, we're safer than most of the schools around here. Look at the construction. It's a, it's a very safe building. You got a four inches of mezzanine steel supported by steel over concrete, concrete walls that are reinforced every 32 inches by steel. Amen. And so when you're standing in one of these middle rooms right here in this part of the building, I mean, you know, we're talking about it take a four or five class uh, a storm for you to ever feel anything happen inside that room. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very safe place to be. 
And it's funny because even people that don't want to go to church here, if there's a tornado coming, they'd like to be inside the safety of the building. Isn't that funny how we recognize the value of a wall when it comes to natural things, but when it comes to spiritual things, we don't understand how valuable a wall can be? Have you believe there's a storm of unrighteousness in this world? We need to rebuild the walls. We need to rebuild the walls. We, we need a revival where we rebuild the walls. We need a revival of holiness in the church today where we raise the standard. We act like we're worried about our kids. Oh, our kids are going to, you know, our, our, our kids are going to hate church. Let me tell you something. I hope they do. I hope they hate church and love Jesus. Amen. Church as far as religion, church as far as that pharisaical spirit, but I hope they love Jesus. And you know what causes young people to fall in love with Jesus? Amen. To live what you preach. Holiness is not the problem. It's hypocrisy. You want to know what turns children against the church? It's not because there's a standard. It's not because you can't go here and you can't go there. It's because parents preach to them all day long, and then when they get mad, they cuss like a sailor. Amen. They tell their kids how they're supposed to live right and how they're supposed to respect authority, and then they come home every day talking about the preacher and talking about their boss. Help me. I told you I was going to spank you this morning. I warned you. You should have left already if you don't want to hear it. You had your chance to say amen. We could have shouted today. But y'all act like you don't want to hear this. This is the truth. Amen. We need a revival of holiness. I've been to holiness churches. Those kids are happy. They're thrilled. Hey, most of them don't even know about a lot of this garbage that's out in the world. Thank God for young people. Their innocence is protected. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with a child that's 14 years old and doesn't know anything about internet porn? That's a problem? Oh, well, they'll, they're, you know, they're not, they'll find out. They get married, stick them in a room alone with a naked girl, they'll figure it out. Y'all are a little too worried about all that. There ain't a whole lot to it, they'll figure it out. Amen, we act like that, uh, you know, that that's the worst thing that could happen. No, these kids need to be raised in, in an atmosphere and a culture of innocence. It frustrates me, my daughter coming home from a public school, and I find out they're showing her videos and things uh, about her biology and everything, and we weren't even asked as parents if it was okay for her to watch that. I walked into a school and confronted one of the teachers about having a counselor go in to meet with my son over some note that they found, and they sent a counselor in to meet with him before they ever contacted us. And by the time we got to the school, the counselor was there telling me how she knows more about my son than I do. I straightened them all out, asked Sister Brenda. I said, you are not my kid's parent. And the principal of the school had the nerve to look at me and said, during the hours that they are at school, we are guardian ad litem for your child. I said, I didn't ask you if you were guardian ad litem. I said, you're not the parent. And if you think guardian ad litem means parent, then you don't speak Latin and you don't understand anything about the legal system. And if you imply for one second that you have the right to take my child in a room by themselves, stick them in there with an adult, and begin to ask them questions, amen, that involve sexuality or anything else, I will own this school and everybody in this room will. He'll get fired. Didn't I say it? 
I'm concerned about these things. Why? Because they're coming through the walls. Those are walls that we've built as parents. And those walls, listen, just because you got, I told him, I said, just because you got a trailer park over here full of people that don't care about their kids and they run till the middle of the night and do whatever they want to and you feel like you got to step in as a surrogate parent. My children have two parents that love them and care for them and you will not cross the line. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Some of you need to get down there and talk to some of these people about your kids and let them know. They didn't come here looking for a mommy, looking for a daddy. They're not here for you to direct them concerning sexual issues. We'll handle that. We know what we're talking about. We don't know where you're coming from. Sally has two mommies. I wrote a song a while back. And included that line in the song, Sally has two mommies. I feel sorry for her because she'll never know the joy of being daddy's little girl. And looking back on good times that she's had, I know for sure Sally needs a dad. I'm not going to have them impose things on, why? Because I got some walls. I got some walls in my life. I got some walls of protection. Walls, I didn't put them there in a moment of weakness. We'll put them in the wrong place. You know what I'm talking about. You put the walls in the wrong place. Well, I'm just going to keep it in the cabinet. It's a remedy for colds that my grandmother gave me. You just take a shot of this and some honey, buy some cough syrup and throw out the liquor. Thank you, Pastor. See, I'm not getting any help at all. But, but it's, it's, it, it's medicinal. It's medicinal till you have a bad day. It's medicinal till your wife throws you out the bedroom. And it's amazing. It's amazing how every time you and your wife have a fight... You get a cold. <laughs> get it out of your house. Oh, I'm going to carry it in my wallet just to let the devil know he's in jail. Well, he's out now, but five years is a long time. I mean, that's, that's where you're at. You've you, you got to... Man, when God's moving, when the Spirit of the Lord's here, when the presence of God is here, we're in the first part of a new year and we all want to make a fresh start and a new commitment, then build some walls. Build some walls that will bless you, that will bless your future. Build some walls. Permanence. Make some covenants. Make some commitments. You know, me and my wife for a long time, we didn't know how to fight. She grabbed that baby. She's out of here. That's some spirit of wisdom right there. We didn't. We didn't know how to fight. We we didn't. We hadn't learned anything. Hadn't read any books about it. You know. And so we we didn't understand the difference between arguing and fighting. And so everything turned into a fight. Everything got personal. And so one day I read this article, and I read this article, and this article is about the difference between arguing and fighting. Have you ever ever? heard the comparison that's made. And what it showed is arguing is very profitable. 
Arguing is why we get married. Two different worldviews make better decisions. So a typical argument might be, hey, we need to get a new vehicle. And the husband says, well, let's get a sports car. And the wife says, well, yeah, but we were talking about having children. We get a sports car. Where's the kids going to ride? And the husband comes back and says, well, we, you know, we, 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 uh, we could always trade it in then and make the decision then. Well, you know how that always works. You buy a new vehicle. It takes a while to get any equity built up in it. That's probably not going to be a wise purchase decision. Well, yeah, but we're going to save a lot of money on gas because the car may be small and fast, but it gets good mileage. See, we're still on topic. You know what I'm saying? We're still talking about the subject. We're going back and forth. We got, we got decisions to be made there. Now, this is, this is the same argument turning into a fight. Then the wife comes back to that. You know, you're selfish and you always get your way. Well, you're a big baby. Your parents spoiled you. How do you know what I'm talking about? Now, what just happened? It got personal. Are we talking about making a purchasing decision? Are we talking about a compromise of maybe we, could, we don't have to go to the minivan mode yet? And, guys, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you because I love you. Fight it as long as you can. I'm talking, you're talking to a guy that's owned two minivans at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So fight it as long as you can and as, and as hard as you can, guys. Hold out. Don't compromise and go to minivan until you have to. All right? That's just me. That's just free. That's not even the Holy Ghost. That's just James McFadden talking so I can live vicariously through you. And your Dodge Charger. Your 454-4 on the floor. Because me and you might want to hang out sometime and let me, you'll let me drive it. But, but you're trying to make a quality decision here, and maybe the compromise comes out to be that you end up with, you know, a... Uh, you know, a mid-sized car with a sports package, and it's got the V8. And, you know, every once in a while you can open it up and you can feel good about it, but there's plenty of room. I mean, there's a compromise there that's to be made. And, and considering both opinions, considering both priorities, you'll make better decisions. But when you let it become a fight, a fight is personal. And as soon as it becomes personal, y'all need to drop it, come back to it. So you're ready to talk and stay on topic. Man, that was like a, that changed my life. I don't think we've broken any knickknacks since. <laughs> you know I mean, yeah, we've slammed a few doors, and, but I really can't remember the last time that we've broken a figurine or anything of that nature. Just because of that revelation right there. A little wall, and you say, where did you put the wall? When it starts to degrade into a fight, for the longest time, me and Brenda would bring up, as a reminder, the craziest fight we ever had. And I'm not going to tell that story, but we'll, we bring it up. No, you don't deserve to hear it today, okay? You're a man's today. Need a lot of work. This is a much better sermon than you're, you're not working with me today. This is a good sermon. This is the first of the, oh, yeah, now. Now you want to hear the story. Well, Brenda was possessed by a spirit. And we even knew the name of the spirit because it came on the prescription. 
And it was one of the fertility treatments that we went through, and it actually put a woman's body through a premature menopause. So just imagine being 26 and having menopause. That's what my wife went through. And she had the easy part. (laughs) Because I got to deal with her. And here's my wonderful wife that I've known all this time who has a major personality change because she's taking this Lupron, and that's what we call, I call it the Lupron devil. (laughs) Because it seemed to manifest in the form of an evil spirit. And one day she got so mad on this Lupron devil that she started hurling figurines at me across the trailer. We lived in the trailer behind the church. And it was, you know, unless you were being pelted by him, it's kind of funny. And so at one point, I'm trying to dodge a figurine, and I kind of dive, and I hit my head, and I almost knocked myself out. And Brenda did exactly what you're doing. She laughed her head off. And so I was laying on the floor, and I was close to one of her favorite figurines in the whole world. (laughs) Yeah, I did Not proud of it, <laughs> but, I, but I did it. And uh, we, both just started, we both just started laughing. I mean, we just laughed so hard. You know, we just kind of got up and went and got something to eat and came back and cleaned up later. But it was just, it, was, it got so ridiculous it was funny. You know what I'm talking about? And so that was, whenever we felt ourselves for the longest time headed that direction, we would have a clue. There's a clue. Hey. You know, and I can't remember what her little figurines were called back then, but that was our clue word. I don't even remember what it is now, but it was these little collectibles she had, and that's what I would say to her. If she started to get angry or I started to get angry, we'd look at each other and we would say whatever they were. I don't remember what they were. I don't know, little beautiful little figurines. And I'm sorry to tell that story because some of you might have given her some of those figurines because back then everybody knew she collected them. And now you know what happened. <laughs> but it was, it was a lesson in our life to learn the difference between arguing and fighting. And what did we do? We used that memory to build a wall, to say, hey, we don't, is that who we want to be? No. Is that, who, is that really who we want to be? Is that how we want to live? No. Is that an atmosphere we want to raise kids in? That's what we want our kids to remember. The big figurine fight of 94, 95, 97, whatever it was. I don't remember. And so we use that as a mechanism, as a lesson to help us to build a wall. Listen, you can take something bad You can take a moment of weakness and you can use that to build the wall. To remind yourself, I'm not going back there again. I'm not going to go that direction there again. That's not how we're going to live. That's not who we're going to be. That's an important lesson, not just for married people. 
But for anybody, if you've, if you've got problems with your temper, build, build a mechanism, build a wall. You know, therapists say, count to 10 backwards. You know, before you start opening your mouth and saying all the things that you're going to have to repent of and that you're going to feel guilty about and that it's going to take you a month because you're not quick to repent to admit you were wrong and really get free from it. You know what I'm talking about. Some people don't know how to apologize. Amen. They don't know how to just lay that stuff down, just repent. The Bible says be quick to repent. Don't be slow to repent. Be quick to repent. Amen. But those are walls that we put up in our life, certain walls that I put in my life. Let me tell you something. When it comes to relationships, let me talk to you about this for a second. When it comes to relationships, parameters and walls in relationship are what allows relationships to last. I said, that's what allows relationships to last. People that you care about, you will go to them and you will say, hey, you're doing something here that I can't handle. So we're going to have to draw a line here. Well, if you don't like the way I am, well, see, I do like you. And that's why I want to be around you. But I can't tolerate this. And rather just wait until what I can't tolerate gets so out of control that I just never have anything to do with you anymore. I'm here talking about our relationship because I would like, if we can put some parameters in here, I don't have a problem being around you. There's just certain parameters. There are people that are sinners that know you're not going to smoke in my house. I have family members that smoke that come to my house. They will not smoke in my house. They go out on the porch. What is that? That's a parameter that I have. That's just a standard I have. I don't want to smell your cigarette smoke six months from now. In my curtains, in my carpet, in my furniture. A matter of fact, I love you enough to make it as hard on you to smoke as possible and don't apologize for it because those are coffin nails and they're killing you. And if you want to have a relationship with me, then you'll accommodate that. And guess what? I'll accommodate them. And when I'm in their house, if they're blowing smoke right in my face, I ain't saying nothing to them about it because it ain't my house. It's not my house. It's their house. I'm their guest. If I don't want to be there, I don't have to be there. Have your following me. But I can now have a relationship with them because I told them about that. I'm not going to have them come in my house, smoke it up, and then every time they leave, talk about them for a month. I can't believe they smoked in my house. I'm sick and tired. You know what? We're just not going to have them over anymore. That's what happens to relationships without parameters. Walls establish and prolong relationships. Some people can't tolerate certain things. You don't know why. That's their issue. It may be nothing to you, and it's a big deal to them. We don't know. When Brenda and I first got married, she liked to smack me all the time. And she called them love taps. And they were. She never hurt me, but it would just be like, oh, James. James. Okay, good. I'm sorry. I felt terrible there for a second. I thought, man, it must be the anointing. <laughs> but that's what she would do. Over and over. I mean, all the time, she'd just do it all. James, come on. I'd say something she didn't like. James. James. Well, see, my brother slapped me around every day of my life. I cannot stand it. It was the cutest thing in the world to her, and it made me mad every single time. And finally, one day, I just talked to her about it and said, Honey, I know you think this is cute, and I know that you slap your brother all the time. I know you slap your sister all the time. Y'all slap happy people. 
I said, but my brother slapped me around every day of my life for the first 14 days of my life. He'd always come up behind me, pop me in the back of the head. You know how big brothers do. And I hated it. And it would make, it, I'd start to get mad. She'd be like, what are you upset about? It didn't mean anything by it. I love you. It was just a little love tap. It didn't hurt you. It brought up 14 years of getting slapped in the head. I don't know why I got to bear my soul this morning. I guess God's really going to use me tonight because I've confessed all my sins and all my problems. I'm empty. But it's the truth. And it didn't mean anything to her, and she didn't mean anything by it. She was almost offended that I was acting like, and I was trying to explain to her, this is my issue. I understand that it's my issue, but if we're going to be together and you want me to marry you, you got to quit smacking me. I don't care if it's love taps. I don't care what it is. Now, if you want me to smack you, that's up to you if that's what you need to feel loved. But it can't come this way because I got issues. You know, I got issues with an older brother. Hey, Jimmy, you want to play Houdini? And then you lock me in the closet for an hour. <laughs> How you doing in there, Houdini? <laughs> you know, I just got some issues. I'm not perfect. It was a big deal to me. It was nothing to her. How many things in your life you're dropping pebbles and they're hitting her like a bomb? And when you care about a person, you care enough to give them what they need, not what you need. If you're going to have a relationship that's going to last, what do you do? Build some walls. Build some walls. I've even watched my wife, someone will come up to me, and you still got people like that today. They'll come up to me, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And she'll look at me. You're going to be all right? I'll look at her. Because that is not my thing, all right? We didn't play wrestle, okay? He was three and a half years older than me. We didn't play wrestle. He whooped me every time. I never won a fight. I punched him one time really hard, and I think you all can guess where, and I paid for it. But that was one of the proudest moments of my life. Fourteen years I got my lick in. And y'all, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get your sympathy today, but let me just say, you know, I, I remember one time my brother picked me up, he had me by the back of the collar and the seat of the pants and was about to throw me out the window, which it was the first floor window, so I'd have probably survived. But I remember saying to him, Ron, don't do it, don't do it. He said, why not? I said, the window's closed. Thank God, because he knew Dad had whoop him for breaking the window. I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't smack me. I told Brenda that before we got married. Brenda doesn't go around smacking me to this day. We have a relationship because we had that conversation. It may not seem like a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal probably to anybody else in this room. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal. And one of you guys, you're going to think it's funny, and you're going to come up behind me one day, and you're going to pop me in the back of the head, and you're going to think it's cute, and you're going to find out pastor got issues. And pastor carries. I have my concealed deadly weapons permit. If you'd like to see it, I won't show my gun. That's called brandishing because I paid attention at the class. 
But that's my issue. Every one of us have issues that came from who knows where. Our unique history. Our unique setting. And if we want to have a relationship, what are we going to do? Build walls. Build walls. Well, you know what? Jesus has an issue with something. He has a really big issue with something. It's called sin. And if you want to be a party of the sin and the things of this world, he said, don't have anything to do with me. But if you're willing to put a wall up there and you're willing to say, listen, I'm not going to do that. And not because I'm strong, but because in a moment of strength, I put some things in place. I had a difficult conversation. I have set those things away. You know, if a person's battling with pornography, you know, don't, don't, don't keep a magazine under the bed. You know, don't keep all your passwords and, and other things. You know, put your Internet in a public place. Don't get on there unless there's somebody else around so there's accountability. Put some software in place. In a moment of strength and lucidity, make quality decisions that do what? Those are bricks in the wall that will protect you in a moment of weakness. In a moment of weakness. Because there are those moments. As a pastor, I, I know what it is to get a call 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and have to go to a board member's house. A board member. Whose wife walks in while he's looking at pornography. And she's so upset. And he's broken so many promises and so many times before said it was never going to happen. And literally have to go out in a field and chase this poor woman down and talk her into coming back into the house and having a conversation. This is real stuff that hurts, that hurts, that destroys marriages, that hurts our relationship with God. We don't have any power with God anymore. The church doesn't have any power with God. Why? We've lost our purity. Without purity, there's no power. Oh, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Yeah, but you're not sanctified. And God is not going to, God is not going to hand the loaded gun of the supernatural power to speak a word and change the very force of nature to somebody who is not mature, to someone who is not walking in it for a season of time. Do we really think that one moment of repentance gives us the right to access the authority of heaven? No, the Bible says that when you're born, when a child, when a child is born an heir to the kingdom, he's in bondage until he's mature. That's what the Bible says. You're in bondage until you're mature. That's what it says. Read it for yourself in the Word of God. It says that you are just, you are no different than a slave. Because of the governors tell you what to do, the nannies tell you what to do, the people that are raising you tell you what to do, even though you were born to be king. It's not until you become mature that you receive your authority. I thank God that I've been born again. I thank God that I'm a royal priesthood. Have you know you're a royal priesthood? Have you know when you were born again, you were born into nobility to be the son of God? But I have no access to the authority of that until I am mature. And God measures maturity in my ability to what? Carry out his will in the earth. 
not just the good works of doing the right thing, but to hear his voice, to know his voice, to desire what he desires, to be transformed into the image of his son, that his heart is my heart and his ways are my ways. Have you want to walk in his ways today? Have you want to fulfill his will? Then we need to start rebuilding the walls, and we need to know the first thing that's going to happen is the enemy's going to come against us. There's going to be secret hatred. There are going to be people in your life that hate you, and you don't even know why. Hey, man, I, I, I've spent too much time the last, last, last year. I'm just going to be honest with you. I spent too much time trying to figure out why some people hated me. I never did them anything but good. I kept going back over the relationship. I never did anything but try to help them. I never did anything but try to love them. I never did anything but try to give them the word of God. People that I gave them every opportunity to serve, every resource that they needed. Amen. Opportunities that they're not granted at other places. Amen. That I gave them respect and uh, so forth. Influence and say, and I just begin to measure that. And look at that and wonder, well, you know what, maybe I've got a personality problem, you know. Maybe I'm just not likable enough or whatever. Finally, I was talking to a friend. He doesn't get to come to church much, but he's with us online almost every service. And I was talking with him, and he told me, he said, Pastor, you need to back up for a, for a second. You need to realize this has nothing to do with your personality. This has nothing to do with anything personal has to do with the call of God that's on your life and the destiny of TLC and the fact that because God's hand is on it and the Lord is wanting to accomplish something there. Amen. That this same spirit that was in Symbalat is going to enter into different people. And for whatever reason, they're going to just, they're going to hate you they're going to hate what you do. They're going to hate what you represent. They're going to hate the fact that no matter what they do, they cannot deny the fact that God gave them an opportunity to be a part of something great, and they squandered it, and they wasted it. And yet here we stand, and despite everything the enemy has done, no weapon formed against us has prospered to the point of our full destruction. Here we are. Let me tell you something. I haven't done all the stand. The Bible says stand therefore. Somebody says, hey, what are you doing for God? I'm standing. <laughs> what are you doing for the Lord? I'm standing. I'm standing right where he told me to stand, doing right what he told me to do. Amen. Knowing beyond all shadow of a doubt that God is faithful who promised it. I said that God is faithful who promised it. God is faithful. We can't help the fact sometimes, amen, that when the anointing is on us, amen, it was Jesus Christ. Think about this. Jesus was still a baby and they were trying to kill him. It was what he represented. He represented royalty. He represented transition. He represented change. He represented a new day. He represented God was going to take the power away from the religious. He was going to give it to the common people and the common man. He was going to give them access to the glory of the Lord. And that's where some of you come in because you represent that dramatic change. Amen. This is going to be a church where the preacher is not the only one that's anointed. I said, you're going to represent a people who understand that every member is a minister 
everybody is saved to serve, that everybody's calling is important to God, that every person has the right to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Amen. That every one of you have the right to access the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that every one of you have the right to make an impact and a difference in this world. The church has suffered for 30 years. Preachers standing up saying, send me your money and I'll do what you can't do. Man, the devil's not afraid of one man sold out to God doing something for God. But what happens when an entire church rises up and realizes uh, that there is no preacher Holy Ghost uh, and member Holy Ghost. Uh, there's no Holy Ghost for the apostles and then another Holy Ghost for the sound man. But it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that quickens our mortal bodies. We've got the power you can change this world and you can make a difference and because of that people who don't know why people who don't even know anything about you or have anything to base it on are going to hate you because you represent the change that God is trying to bring God is trying to bring his church back away from the superstars and God's trying to raise up body ministry in these last days. Have you believed that? Have you believed enough to stand on your feet and give God a praise right now if you know it's true? Come on. Come on. How many, how many can say the Holy Spirit bears witness? This is the will of God. No more superstars, but it's a body ministry. Every member anointed of the Holy Spirit equipped to do damage in the forces of hell. Equipped with a testimony that can pierce the darkness over your break room, over your neighborhood, over your family. Amen. I'm excited that there's some new pictures coming in, but we haven't covered it yet. We haven't baptized it yet to its immersed. That word baptism means immersed. Amen. I want that board over there literally covered and immersed in the photos of those that we're believing God to save. We cannot say that that represents our harvest and that represents our heart. We desire more than that. I'm asking you, take the time. Amen. Gather gather those pictures of your families and friends and members that you're believing God to save. And let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to build these walls. Walls that represent our freedom. Let me tell you. Why, why was the king afraid when he found out the walls were being built and they were there? Because he knew that the, that the uh, people would enter into those walls and they could be free from his reign and free from his rule. The walls are not your prison. The walls are your place of freedom. The place that we run into and we are set free by the power of God. I believe God's wanting to anoint you today to build those walls in the right places. I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father... I anoint your people. This is a year right now where we're going to see that you are our pavilion. You're our buckler. You're our shield. You are our high tower. God, you are our fortress. You are our safe place, God, that the righteous run into. And we are saved, God. Lord, help us to begin to build walls in our life, God. Help us to begin to establish barriers, God that we might prolong our relationships, that, Lord, that we might have a relationship that is pleasing with you. Oh, God, let our homes be a living sanctuary where the Holy Spirit is free to move, where the Holy Spirit, God, is not quenched by what we 
what we do, God. Lord, I'm asking you right now, some that are, they've got decisions to make this year. They're going to continue to struggle. They're going to continue to walk in circles. Or God, this is their year of liberty. This is their year of freedom. This is their year, Heavenly Father, God, where they're not going to wait. They're going to leave this service today and they're going to do something to set up boundaries, to set up barriers, God. And Lord, just like you defeated Sinbalat, you exposed him for what he was. God, Nehemiah went on with the work and ignored those that spoke against him. God, you're going to give us the strength and the favor to press on and do what it is that you've called us to do, God, regardless of those that would come against it, regardless of those, Heavenly Father, that would hate it without cause, that may fight against it for reasons they know not of, Heavenly Father. Lord, we want to thank you right now that the Holy Ghost is with us and you have anointed us and this is a season of restoration. You're bringing the church back, God, to those early days. Lord, when the power of God moved upon the people, where Philip, who was anointed to be a deacon and to wait on tables, brought revival to a city and was transported by the Holy Ghost supernaturally. God, he's an incredible example to us that every one of us you desire to use us if we'll just be a willing vessel and we'll be available to you, God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Equip us. Anoint us. Empower us, God. It's time to get off the sidelines and get into the game. It's time, Heavenly Father God, for us to cease to be a church of spectators and watchers, God, and begin to climb down on the field and make war against the forces of hell. God, we declare victory. We declare breakthrough. And we thank you today. Thank you today for your word. God, that protects us, that shields us. God, for faith, Heavenly Father, that quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy. God, I bless every household. I'm asking you to speak to us. Put somebody on our mind and on our heart, God, to put on that wall, to be prayed over, to be fasted over. Heavenly Father, God, that your anointing would go forth and draw them in by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we give God one more hand clap of praise today? Come on, church. Hallelujah.